When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 222 of What Most People Think. And I have to, given it's a Nelson, if you know anything about cricket, I have to say 222 for two. This is a great way on a mainstream podcast to lose listeners is to make a cricket reference in the first 30 seconds. That's what they advise. Now, listen, you've got to know that I'm recording this week's episode ahead of time because of holiday related issues. That's how much I've been working that I see a holiday as an issue, a problem in the calendar. So we're going to be talking about topical stuff from the last week. Just so you know, if something absolutely massive has happened, like Donald Trump has turned up in Israel dressed up as John Rambo, I'm not mentioning it, that will be why. I am recording this shortly after two huge by-election defeats from the government. So we're going to obviously look at that. We're going to move on to asking if a large Labour majority is now completely inevitable. And we'll also be discussing how dangerous it is to have a senile US president at a time of huge global peril. Dear old Joe. Dear old Joe, you see it in the eyes, don't you? You see it in the eyes. He's gone. And we'll be keeping the men's mental health chat going. We'll hear a lot about toxic masculinity. So we're going to just ask, is there a female equivalent? We see this online, like toxic femininity. Me and Dominic Frisbee are going to ask whether that is indeed really a thing. And I'm going to bring in Dom now. Dom, welcome to the show. Morning, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I mean, one of the other things that we'll be doing in this show, in the Patreon-only section, is we're going to be listening to your new song. What's your new song called? Programmable Money. Programmable Money. It sounds, there's already shades of Pink Floyd there, it feels. (laughs) Is that a good thing for you, T? I don't know. You're a very cultured man musically. That might be a massive insult. Well, I never really listened to that much Pink Floyd. I remember students used to play them a lot when I was at university and everyone used to sit around and worry about the end of the world and stuff and play Pink Floyd, but I never really got into them that much. This is more inspired by sort of German 80s techno craft work and that kind of thing. I mean, I'll say this for because the Patreon-only guys are going to hear the full thing is get ready, smoke something that smells a bit strange because you're going to need to get in the headspace. But I think that the message of the song and what it says about a cashless society is really good to have a discussion in and around. There's Klaus Schwab lizard references as well. Klaus Schwab. You know, as in like shape-shifting lizards run the world and all that stuff. To me, Klaus, I'm thinking World Bank, the Great Reset, all of this stuff. I don't really know what these things are. These are buzzwords that I hear online. I mean, you are becoming like the sort of, you're like the libertarian Bob Dylan. I see myself as like the right-wing Billy Bragg, but funny. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the second week of doing the podcast New Way, but if you want to still get it ad-free early and with bonus content, the only way to do that is Patreon. So just go on Patreon, type in um, Jeff Norcott or what most people think and you'll find it. I've also sorted out the RSS thing. Dom, I had one of these things whereby for the patrons, I had to work out how I could get it to appear in their actual podcast app. And how old are you now, mate? I'm 54 and I still haven't figured out RSS. I just got scared. Do you get that fear where you just go, I I just won't do it. Maybe I'll just... I just don't know what it is. People talk about RSS and I sort of feel it's something I should have mastered and I haven't. And I sort of just block it out and pretend it isn't there. 
What it is, is in the Patreon app, I basically, and this is the really embarrassing thing, I had to go to a thing and click a button saying, can this appear as RSS? Yes. That was mainly it. I've had the Patreon for three years. It's just fear, isn't it? It's just fear. You get to a certain age. There are certain things whereby you're never going to learn them. You just have to Google them every time you need the information. Yeah, that is a sad thing. When you Google something, you realise, I Googled this six months ago. I knew this six months ago, and I don't know anymore. <laughs> I know where to look for it. God damn it, I I can Google stuff very quickly. Here's a weird thing. I might have discussed this before, but I believe, you know those weird things that happens in couples after a few years? I'm convinced I'm way better at Googling for stuff than my wife. Like, it really frustrates me if she decides to be the one to Google something because I don't feel like her search terms are quite up there. My girlfriend will often look over my shoulder when I'm Googling stuff on my phone and get visibly angry at how slow I am at Googling, and I think I'm fast. So I think everyone has their own little... Because you're alone with your phone or you're alone with your computer, aren't you, when you're Googling? And I just think everyone has their own little idiosyncrasies and methods. So if you see somebody doing something slightly different to how you do it, you just get wound up. Is there a significant age gap, if you don't mind me asking, with you and your missus? Yes, massive, 20 years. 20 years. Oh, my God, old man. She's trying to explain RSS to you. And <laughs> Have you ever heard the half your age plus seven? Yeah, yeah, about acceptable age gaps within relationships. And she's just inside the half your age plus seven. There was an incident where, like last week, we ran into my next door neighbour and he's like this sort of slightly senile old French bloke, a bit like a sort of a poor French Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Biden, if he was French and lived in Broccoli. And I said to him, ah, my daughter's got some clothes for your daughter. And then he turned to my girlfriend, because my daughter often gives his daughter hand-me-downs. And he turned to my girlfriend and said, is this your daughter? Totally genuine. We were both devastated. But she's inside the half your age plus seven limit. Who was the most devastated? That's what I'm trying to work out there. I mean, she... Well, in a way, it's flattering. Yes. What I'm basically saying is only you should have been devastated. Maybe. But then there's the credence. I mean, a lot of people say there's also, it does play out the other way, is that you're with a younger woman and there's that idea that a lot of blokes would go, I guess, in a sort of 1970s Robin Asquith way, like, whoa, God, lucky old Dom. Do you get a bit of that in the uh, golf club dressing room? That's where I'm imagining (laughs) that this kind of stuff gets said. It's definitely flattering. But my ex-girlfriend, who's a comedian, wrote a joke for me. Mm. And she said, I've got this new girlfriend. She's very young. I met her on one of those apps, Pokemon Go. (laughs) (laughs) I just got to read out a few patrons. So one is somebody that has been deserving of a shout out for quite some time. I'm sorry it's taken me so long. Is Graham Wells. So Graham Wells, Wellsy. Do you ever take a photo of yourself standing by the ocean, Graham, and then you go wells next to the sea? You've got to do that. If you haven't done that before, you've got to do that. Down a wells, get down a well and look up and get something. Your Instagram potential is massive, Graham Wells, and I can't apologise enough for all these months that have gone by without your shout-out. These are a couple from last week, That because last week, I should say this, actually, is that last week's episode was a bit shorter. Going forward, they are going to be a little bit longer, but we are trying to make this thing punchier, tighter, and thanks for all the feedback of people that enjoyed that, which were basically saying, yes, stop fucking waffling, Norcott. Dave Littlewood, Dave Littlewood there, brilliant catalogue. Welcome to the show. Is Littlewood's catalogue still a thing? I don't know. It's probably got some shit online version. I thought I associated it with pools. 
Oh, yeah, Littlewood's Pools. Yeah, wealthy man. Jonathan, you're a one-namer, so that there's not much I could do with that other than... I think, Jonathan, you sound like a failed novelist. Somebody called Mitsuyama, very cool name. I didn't think I had any Japanese fans. Maybe there's some Japanese gammon out there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what Mitsuyama means. Sean Linard, Sean Linard. That's got to be a rugby player, isn't it? Sean Linard? Yeah, for London Irish. Yeah, Sean Leonard, they're taking the ball for a monster. <laughs> what was the accent? I don't even know. It was good. It was good. I was quite impressed. Well, I started off thinking I was going to do a Southern Irish accent and then realised I'd started Northern and just tried to slightly modulate it a few miles up the road. It travelled across <laughs> the border over the course of the sentence. The main talking point now, because we're doing this one a bit early, our super patron David Domain hasn't had quite enough time to get back to me on episode 221, but I have had Peter Askew get in touch and we were talking about funny names for hairdressers and laundrettes. For some reason, I thought laundrettes had funny names. So he had a few options near or that he's seen on his travels. There's a Chinese restaurant in Oakham called Walk This Way. I think, yeah, I think there's a few of those around the country, but I think that his next two are real classics of the genre. There's a sandwich shop in Oldham called Big Baps. I mean, that is very un-PC, isn't it? Just Big Baps. It's good, though. But do you think that there'll be a point with the owner of Big Baps where they'll just have a slightly more progressive, conscientious, younger employee and it would just never occur to them that it was offensive? You know, like you can't legally prove that that's what they refer to. It's like the old days of censorship when you would have to explain to the censor that you're merely referring to the size of the bread rolls and to nothing else. Yeah. And any other inference is in your mind, you dirty man. Oh, yeah, I think if you called it massive baps, that would be harder to defend. The alliteration feels legitimate, but you call it massive baps, that does feel slightly more carnal. And then uh, he said you can get a new tyre fitted at a place in Old Trafford in Manchester called, I kid you not, Ronnie's Rubbers. <laughs> I mean, Ronnie knew exactly what he was doing there, didn't he, Dom? He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew. He knew. There was a Chinese restaurant near where I was growing up that was called Holy Fook. I never knew if they knew how funny that was. There was, um, I mean, this is more of a sort of cultural change, but growing up in South London, there was quite a lot of restaurants called Gaylord's Indian. Oh, yeah. What was that culture? This might be, Dom, do you know? I don't know, but it must be something to do with the old meaning of the word gay, meaning happy. I will say this, as a 14-year-old lad in South London, we were not emotionally equipped to deal with that name. And sadly, I think most of those restaurants did change name. What so I'm going to switch this round a week. Mostly the guests do the fuck you, Don, but I'm going to give you the thank you. Have you got anything you're feeling gratitude for at the moment? Yes, I do, actually. I hadn't actually prepared for this bit, so this is quite spontaneous, what I'm saying. But last week, I walked out of my house and I walked from southeast London all the way to Canterbury Cathedral and I followed the path of Chaucer's pilgrims, as in the Canterbury Tales, all the way along the Pilgrim's Way. And it took me four and a half days. And technically it's a pilgrimage. Mm. I was a bit embarrassed to call it a pilgrimage because it sounded like I was a bit up my own backside. So I was just sort of, I didn't want to sound that pretentious. But anyway, when I got to Canterbury Cathedral, it was 17 quid entry fee. <laughs> I've said to the woman at the desk, I've just walked all the way from London. Do I have to pay the 17 pounds entry fee? And she went, oh, no, you're a pilgrim. You can come in. And then the people at Canterbury Cathedral gave me the most royal treatment, looked after me. I was taken to see the canon. He gave me a tour of the cathedral. He gave me a blessing and all this. So I would like to say thank you to the people at Canterbury Cathedral. 
My God, you got pilgrims rates. Yeah, pilgrims rates. Is it on the board? <laughs> OAP children pilgrims. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I did. I got pilgrims rates, and from now on, anytime I go anywhere where there's an entry fee, I'm just going to say I've walked from London. Can I come in free? That's got to be if you're doing an hour at Edinburgh next year. Dom the pilgrim frisbee. Yeah, if you're doing 11 a.m. show at the Fringe. The audience will be fucking old. <laughs> like, they're getting older at the Fringe anyway. But if you did an 11am show called The Pilgrim's Route, I swear to God, man, it'd be the hottest ticket in town. you get the same people that are going to the tattoo later. Yeah. They would basically come out for your show, then they'd go and have a bit of cake and sleep for three hours, and then they'd go and get aroused by weapons. The fuck you I'm going to do is to T-Bay Services. Now, if you've seen my show on tour, by the way, thank you to the people of, uh, did a show in Stockton, first ever time doing a tour show in Stockton. And I sort of said to them, you know, this is really well attended. I've got a show like early next year in Middlesbrough and, and, and that's not selling very well. And I said, it's because Middlesbrough is five miles away. I did not know. I did not know I'd put two tour shows like that close together. So obviously everyone's come to that one. So if you are in Middlesbrough, do come next year. But we've been talking on the tour about T-Bay services, right? And there's been a lot of love for T-Bay. Whenever you say, what's your favourite service station? There's a lot of people that just automatically say T-Bay. I think in the same way that some people say their favourite Christmas film is Elf. There was a time when that was quite an out there, sort of like cultish thing to say, but it's sort of become quite mainstream. So Where is T-Bay? T-Bay. So it's somewhere on the M6 between Cumbria and Lancaster, right? Oh, wow. It's a long way off. It's a long way, but I was up there doing a bunch of stuff in the north. So I thought, all right, I'm going to check into this place. And I'll tell you something, that is not technically a service station, okay? I lost followers on Instagram for saying this, but I don't know what it is, but it's just hipster stuff. It's got a farm shop. If I want a farm shop, I go to a garden centre, all right? You people, you've been running this T-Bay line. What it is, is a fucking fancy way of getting you to pay eight quid for a sausage roll, is what it is. Give me a Greg's, two or three concessions. Give me the sterility and the organised loneliness of a classic service station any day of the week. Jeff, I don't mean to be confrontational on your show, of all places, but I really like the sound of T-Bay. Well, of course you do. I said it on Twitter and Simon Evans just said, farm market, question mark. <laughs> I like things in their place. If I'm going to a farmer's market, fine. All right, I say that as if I've ever been to a farmer's market. I think normal service stations are poison. The point is, it's a home away from home. That's the point, is the ubiquity. It's the same with when you go to a costa. It's like, it's so sad. And it's what you know, the same as a travelodge. I feel I've come to the end of the world when I come to some of those service stations. The end of the line has finally arrived. But yeah, I like the sound of T-Bay. Look, you've got to have balance these days. And in a way, I'm glad you were here to fly the flag for T-Bay. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk a bit of politics now. We're going to talk about the fallout from the two by-elections at the end of last week and the looming prospects of a big Labour majority. Right, so there were two big wins for Labour in the by-elections in Tamworth and mid-Bedfordshire. And of course, they were historic. Like, I think one of them was the biggest ever majority overturned and all of it has led to a growing confidence that this is going to be a Labour majority at least and a big Labour majority probably. And Starmer was doing his thing of saying, yeah, we're not taking anything for granted. We're not taking... He is. He must be. You would not be human. I mean, the polls have got you 20-odd points ahead. You're winning fucking by-elections everywhere. Look, look, I promise you, we are not. But he must have been, right, Dom, in his mind, just imagining himself outside the White House, right? He must be at that point 
where he's having little daydreams about being on Air Force One. <laughs> I really like your Keir Starmer impersonation. I think it sounds a bit like Al Pacino. Or Josh Widdicombe. There's definitely some Al Pacino to your Keir Starmer. <laughs> the Director of Public Prosecutions. I've been saying recently that he's sort of like Uncle Albert. You know when Uncle Albert says, during the war... It's the same with Keir mentioning that he used to be director of public prosecutions. But look, if he is mapping out curtains at number 10, everybody could fully understand. But one of my patrons got in touch to make a point here. I mean, first up, we should say that I think one of these constituencies was where Nadine Doris just basically didn't turn up for several months, just was doing a GB News show. So you can imagine the voters in that constituency were pretty <laughs> pissed off. And then the other one, I don't know what it was, but I'm going to guess it was something a bit noncy, right? I don't know specifically, but if you just go in from the kind of the carousel of reasons why Tories have stepped down, they pinched the backside or did something and were deselected or, or sacked. So there were very good reasons for a protest vote in the first place. One of my patrons, Ben Kelly, says to me, if you dig down into to the results, there were very few extra voters for them in Tamworth. And in mid-beds, they actually scored fewer votes than they did in 2019, which I think is interesting, but I guess there was a lower overall turnout. The fact that there was a low turnout is significant, isn't it? I would have thought so, yeah. So the higher turnout, you're going to get higher Labour voters. But that, I suppose, is the only sort of crumb of comfort for the Tories is suggesting that it, there's just a hell of a lot of Tory voters that have stayed home, or is that clutching at straws? Yeah, well, I remember watching an interview with Jacob Rees-Mogg once upon a time. He was talking about an election and he just said, oh, they just won't vote. And I think that's Tory's way of rebelling. So there'll be some people who will have voted Labour, swing voters and Mm. so on. But the Tories just, it's quite English in a way, rather than vote, they just give you the silence, the passive aggressive silent treatment and just not vote at all. That's their way of expressing their discontent. Well, I mean, it was interesting. There was a bloke on uh, BBC News, and obviously they're out there doing the Vox Pops and stuff, and he said, it's like switching from Tesco to Aldi. And that was a reference to, you know, I guess somebody who was a Conservative voter that's now voting Labour. And it could easily be mistaken, couldn't it, all these swings to Labour for being a 1997-style things-can-only-get-better revolution in, in the country. As to what it is, is that everywhere that Labour win, I suspect that if you asked those people, what is it about Labour's policies or agenda or personnel that you're excited about? I suspect that they wouldn't be able to say anything. It's just about how bad the Tories have been or how much they feel let down in their own constituencies. I completely agree with that. I think Keir Starmer's probably going to win the next election, particularly because he looks like he's going to get a load of Scottish votes as well. Yeah. But his tactic is to not stand for anything and just not mess it up. Yeah, That seems to be how he's going to win, by just being totally bland and invisible and beige. And that's his strategy and it's going to work for him. Unfortunately, I don't think it's what people want, (laughs) but he just wins by default. And it's just a symptom of the political system we have. I do remember this time in 1997 or 96, when there was just this hope around Tony Blair. Mm. And there just isn't that around Keir Starmer. No, there was this feeling, you know, we had Cool Britannia going on. It's not like where where Blair and Brown were sort of like the power to elect. I don't think that Starmer and Rachel Reeves are exactly that. And I guess that there was a sense, you know, Labour obviously let down a lot of left-wing people in the end, but there was a sense that Blair and Brown might do something, whereas Starmer and Reeves could not be more establishment figures if they tried. I mean, Starmer, Director of Public Prosecutions, he doesn't like to mention it. And Rachel Rees worked for the Bank of England. Sometimes I get people online going, oh, je- oh you must be worried, Labour getting in. Eh? I go, this is going to be a slightly different cheek of the same ass. I'm not that concerned because I don't think much is going to change. Yeah, my hope, to give you an idea, 
is I don't even know who Rachel Reeves is. Yeah. That's how invisible they are. I used to think I was like this brilliant ahead of the trend guy and I would see trends before they've happening. But what I've actually come to realize as I've grown older is if I'm thinking it, a load of other people are thinking it as well. Mm. And I think what's happened to me in politics is when Brexit happened, I was really, really ignited. I was really, really engaged. I was really excited. And I just followed politics really, really closely. And as time's gone by, I've just become more and more disillusioned Mm. and I've just lost interest. And I think something similar is happening again. People are just losing interest. If there was somebody who could actually engage them and engage voters or something, and there was a guy standing for something, then perhaps that would ignite interest but i also think it's a symptom of the two-party system it just there's everyone feels unrepresented and as you say labor are going to win this election by shutting down the 20 percent on the extreme left and just sort of blanketing them out and the tories did something similar with the right of their party and my one hope in a funny kind of way the conservatives have basically just been social democrats in everything they've done no, no, sorry, Dom, could I correct you? They've been the most right-wing government in history. I have to say that legally because that's what they always say. You have noticed that whenever there's a new prime minister, a new... Actually, this guy's actually more right-wing than the last one. But I take your point. Yeah, very SDP light. It's just social democracy, and that's all their policies. They give it the big one about this and that, but everything is social democrat. And they think they've had their success by owning the sort of centre-left, if you like. But the country's crying out for things like less taxation, more individual responsibility, less state, and all that kind of stuff. And the Tories haven't delivered on that, and that's why so many people on the right feel so disillusioned. But I think the Tories have gone down this SDP route because... We live in a world where the media determines policy and they're so terrified of being slammed in the media. Every time there's a story about something, they just pander to the media. And that's why Mm. they've ended up in this sort of left of centre position. And I'm hoping that when Labour win, the media attacks them from the right and going, how can you do this? This is... And so bizarrely, Labour do the same thing and become a Tory party in order to pander to the media. That's my one hope. That is such a likely outcome because you can see Starmer being more right wing on law and order. Okay, you can see Rachel Reeves being high on fiscal responsibility. Wes Street in is one of the few people that's been willing to criticise the NHS. So their desire to sort of cultivate the Tory vote. That's why I'm just not that concerned about politics. I'm so, I mean, obviously I talk about it, I'm interested in it, but in terms of outcomes, it's not being populist or nihilistic to just say it doesn't really matter. I think at this point in history, who governs us, it doesn't matter that much, actually. It won't be noticeably different. And and it's impossible not to think that coming out of COVID, where a lot of Western countries moved in lockstep. And if you look at where our tax policy has gone, we've moved into line with a lot of European states. So, all right, that's what it's going to be. I don't have to get upset about it anymore. You guys are all just going to do fairly similar things. It's as though we're ruled by an invisible blob. The World Economic Forum, that's the one that everyone gets upset about. Are they the blob or is there a blob above that blob? I was actually referring to the civil service and the sort of the whole UK state machine, but there is a blob on top of that. The international extension of that blob is the EU and the technocracy and all that. I've just got this image now of a sort of self-spawning blob. It's sort of grossing me out. (laughs) The Reform Party took some votes as well. So some people said, well, look, in both constituencies, if the Reform Party hadn't have stood, the Tories would in fact have won. I'm not sure that's really an argument because there's always been a Reform Party, whether it was the Brexit Party or whether or not it was UKIP or somebody on the right. I mean, when it comes to the Reform Party, I'm not 
really i mean ukip had like a right you know to maintain uk independence originally you know in terms of the pound and then it became a sort of anti-eu party the brexit party was quite obvious in their mission the reform party is very much so like just in broad brushstrokes don't like the woke stuff keep shakespeare in the curriculum it's it kind of attended to some of those cultural things that maybe the tories have made the right noises on but not really achieved anything on i um wrote a book, as you know, all about taxation and the history of tax. And I had a good conversation with Richard Tice a few years ago because he asked me to look at his tax documents. And I looked at it with Mark Littlewood, who was head of the IEA at the time. And they asked us for our commentary and so on. What Richard Tice presented was something sort of really sensible and sort of not that far off what Liz Truss was proposing, although with less spending, just slightly Mm. trim taxes here, trim government a bit there and so on. And it was eminently sensible. But what me and Mark Littlewood argued was that that is a budget. What you're presenting here is a very sensible budget, but it's the kind of budget that Rishi Sunak could actually deliver. This is when he was chancellor. And what you need to be doing is you need to shift the Overton window. You need to shift the whole thing and just be full on, we're going back to taxes at 20% of GDP. We're going to slash income tax to 15%. We're going to do this and go really extreme Mm. in order to shift the whole conversation there. And Tice sort of listened to us and never did it. But that's the mistake I think that the Reform Party are making is they're kind of too sensible and too realistic and they need to just go way more into less government, less state, less spending, emphasis on policing and law and order and so on and just shift the Overton window, as they say, but that's not what they're doing. And as a result, they're the kind of Keir Starmer of the right. (laughs) Okay, we're just going to do a slightly shorter chat here about Joe Biden. I always think you have to say Joe Biden. You have to say both of his names together without a break. He is, I mean, obviously we have all the awful things happening in the Middle East and Israel. and So he was over there doing a little trip shortly after the bombing of the hospital. And they were asking, you know, it's, it's, originally a lot of news agencies sort of carried the news. There was an Israeli airstrike, then that became contested but that's not really the point of what i want to say here the point of what i want to say is that they asked him based on what he'd seen what he thought and he said i, I think it was the other side now in that situation saying the other side i mean obviously israel and the us are allies but it just kind of reminded me dom of there is a guy how old is he i mean in my mind he always gets a bit older every time i say his age i'm up to about 92 now with him. i don't <laughs> think he's that old is he I've no idea how old he is and I've no idea what the truth is, Jeff, anymore because like, I get all my news from Twitter and all I seem to see on my Twitter feeds are videos of Biden just either stuttering Mm. or waffling or unable to speak or falling over. And so that's literally all I see. And I'm like, that guy cannot be the president. It's good content though. An old guy waffling and falling over, it's fucking TikTok gold, man. Yeah, and a little bit handsy as well. And sniffing hair, it's TikTok content all the way. No, you're right. I do think that because I sort of think, my God, what a time in history. And and the other thing about media bias, right? This is where editorialising comes into it. I'm not like a kind of guy that hates the MSM. But you look at how they would refer to Biden saying something like the other team and they'll call it a gaffe. Sorry, that is more than a gaffe. When you've got peace talks and stuff and the Abraham Accords breaking down, 
using the word team is a really big fucking mistake. Basically, I know that this is a, a classic internet thing, but imagine if Trump had said it, right? If Trump had said it, there'd have been a very different reaction. Then he gives this kind of address to the nation as to why he needs more funding for military action in um, Ukraine and in the Middle East. And it's really rambly. It's really fucking bad. And I just thought, I don't normally suffer from this, but I've got quite a lot of oh shit anxiety at the moment at things that are happening in the world. And seeing a quite clearly senile president of the biggest superpower, it's discombobulating, Dom. Is he that senile, though, or is it just what I'm seeing on my Twitter feed? It's in the eyes, man. Look, I mean, you know, when you know people in the family, the way that he moves, there's a certain kind of way that people, I don't know what kind of dementia. Or- okay, he's definitely doddery, the way he moves. is definitely, And the back of his hair, you know he's got that old man thing at the back of his hair? Yeah. That sort of long, too long at the back? Because they've obviously got to decide who their president's going to be, and it does feel like at the moment there's a guy that could start a nuclear war by accident, right, Biden, Yeah. and there's a guy that could do it for a laugh. Trump, what a situation that is. Is he definitely going to stand? Well, at this point, yeah. Nothing has stopped him so far. All the court cases against him. No, I meant Biden. Is Biden definitely going to stand? Well, I mean, like, continued life permitting. If he's alive, that's what I'm saying. And the Democrats have allowed it to get this close to the election and there's no other option. It's such a dismal fucking choice, even more dismal than it was for them last time. And I think in terms of foreign policy, right, like I think Donald Trump is genuinely a really bad person. One thing that you do notice during his time in office, Russia weren't up to much. The stuff in the Middle East in terms of the Abraham Accords was moving forward. There's something to be said for having a deeply unpredictable man in the White House, right? That's for sure. I mean, because like the incursion into Crimea happened under Obama and then surprise, surprise, 2020, 2021, Ukraine gets invaded. Now, I'm going to guess that Putin wasn't just holding off because of COVID, right? He wasn't just holding off because of hands face space. I think it was to do with who was in the White House. I'm sure that's the case. But what I find amazing is Putin ended COVID and now this war in Israel and Gaza has ended Ukraine. Yeah, we've only got enough bandwidth for one thing. I was in um, Miami in May at a Bitcoin conference. You know, I'm into Bitcoin and all that. I got invited to this party and I met Robert F. Kennedy, mm-hmm. who is JFK's nephew, I think. And I really, really liked him. And he did this speech and we were talking for quite a bit. I've got selfies with him and stuff. And he was going, I'm going to stand against Biden because the Democrats know that I can beat Trump, but they know that Biden can't beat Trump. So I read recently, I think he's now going to stand as an independent. I don't know. But that guy, Robert F. Kennedy, is great. So I think if America can find a way of getting him in, there's real hope. I mean, the one thing I do think is I feel sorry for the aides of Joe Biden, because every time that man speaks, you just hear the sound of about 16 staffers passing out, thudding and hitting the crowd. (laughs) What is he going to say next? Right, we're just going to do a little hype here. We've had quite a few people join up to the Patreon, so I'm just going to rattle a few some of these names and try and do mini roasts along the way. Aid Watley. Aid Watley, that just sounds like a 70s name. Old Aidy Watley. Paul Main, the main man. Michael Clarkson, just sounds like one of those, sounds like John Grisham. You know, mates with John Grisham, but not as financially successful. Mark Hush. I bet whenever he gives you money, hush money, that must be fun. Steve, it's a one-namer, can't do much with that. Flo, might be the woman that cuts my hair. Okay, it's nice for her to give a bit of money back the other way. Alexander, clearly woke and works for The Guardian, not willing to give his surname. Lewis McGuffey, you're just fucking made up. You're made up from a David Williams novel. Martin Biggs, 
Martin Biggs, that's a sort of slight action hero name. It's quite cool. Don't mess with him. Don't mess with Martin Biggs. And Christopher Pfeiffer. Christopher Pfeiffer. Christopher, oh my God. How can you have two fuzz in the middle of both of your names? Christopher Pfeiffer. That is a mouth fuffuffle. It feels like one of those things like, you know, the BBC will do to show journalists how to deal with difficult pronunciations. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's the Christopher Pfeiffer rule. Christopher Pfeiffer fiddled with fiddly fiffer <laughs> And the BBC covered up for him. Christopher Pfeiffer fiddled with 50 ferocious felines. There we go. <laughs> The book, The British Bloke Decoded, obviously I haven't, I haven't given that, I was about to say I haven't given that a big plug for the week and I just imagine everybody who listens to this giving it a massive eye roll going, really Jeff? But the reason I mention it is obviously we're getting into Christmas time now. It's a really easy thing to just buy for a bloke or somebody who wants to understand blokes a bit better. And thank you for all the Amazon reviews you've been giving me. I've had my first genuinely weird one. It's taken a bit longer than um, where did I go right. There's a guy who gave me a bad review and he said, if you are a right-wing royalist who reads The Sun... This book is for you. And honestly, Dom, I do not know what the fuck he's talking about. It's not what this book is about, but he's a verified purchase. So I think what might have happened is he's seen me promoting the book, then found out my politics and felt a bit dirty. So he slandered me. But if you want to add a bit of balance to that, all five-star reviews on Amazon are greatly helpful. Now, we're going to be talking about Dom's new song in the Patreon-only section, but just at this bit, we're just going to play a little 15-second grab. Your social credit rating, how do you score? If you're compliant, you will get your reward. You may only own what we deem you can own. If you don't register, we'll block your phone. Wait, you'll be late for You seem to be really enjoying the music stuff now. Is there any plans to kind of put together, like, sort of tour it around the UK and do a selection of these songs? Yeah, there is. I do shows in London quite a bit. And uh, I've got a band, you know, it's easy for me to say, but the shows are really good. We do them at a venue called Crazy Cox in Piccadilly Circus and sometimes elsewhere. And yeah, it's a really good show. And we're looking at doing a mini tour starting in March. I think we've got like five or six dates already penciled in. So yeah, I've been making song videos for a long time and playing them with my ukulele. But when it's me and Chad along on keyboards, it's something else. It's really good. And so if you want to find out about that, Frisbee's news is my mailing list frisbees.news yeah just sign up there and when the tour actually happens i'll i'll announce it but yeah comic songs that are actually funny they are funny i've seen them live and they absolutely rip so look in the patreon only section we're going to talk about that now and for everybody else we'll be back talking about is there such a thing as toxic femininity All right, so we're going to talk about, because I'm just I'm aware of this kind of platform I've acquired in terms of talking about men's mental health and stuff and the issues around suicide. Just on that note, I am in the process of putting together a charity gig next year in and around April. And this is to raise money for a sort of umbrella charity that help a lot of different men's mental health charities that you better all fucking come, man. Everyone's going, yeah, I think it's really great that you're doing it. Well, yeah, buy a fucking ticket or make a donation because I'm going to need your help soon. And yes, this is me whining and begging yet again. I haven't got over that recent iTunes review of my podcast. Uh, (laughs) So what we're talking about now is toxic femininity, right? So, you know, last few years we've had this idea in the public domain of toxic masculinity. And a lot of feminist academics have said, not all men, but they've spoken a lot about the behaviours that men engage in that can make women's lives worse. So, look, I don't want this section to be like beating up on women at all, right? But I just want to consider, if you're considering what makes men happy or unhappy, their relationships 
are going to be a big part of that. So it seems logical that while toxic femininity, it feels like an unsatisfactory phrase, to be honest, whatever that is, it must exist on some level. So we're just going to sort of think about what behaviours could fall into that category. I'll start with a couple of lighthearted ones. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship with this, where if the lady is having a bad night's sleep and wakes you up to let you know that. Have you ever had that? Uh, Yeah. I've been woken up in the night to be told by my partner that she can't sleep. Tommy Tiernan, and I'm sorry I'm going to butcher his routine now, he had a great bit about this where he said that she'd wake him up, she'd go, I can't sleep. And then he would say, oh, good that I'm awake now because we both know how the other one feels. <laughs> it is, it's just a different mindset, isn't it? There's another one along those lines is, and it, TikTok is really good at this. You get a lot of young sort of female comic creators on TikTok doing loads of really good comedy that acknowledges this stuff. Like it's a really interesting creative space in this respect. There's one girl I see where she does loads of clips of her just starting an argument because they haven't had an argument for a while and she's worried that that represents a problem somehow. So she'll often start the clip off with just her looking at her fella who's watching something and fully engaged with it and her just kind of, finding ways to start a row. Do you think that that's a thing in relationships whereby you almost set like an egg timer of when do we have our last row? And if it gets to a certain point where you think, well, we just need to have one, you know, it's like during hot weather, we need a storm to clear the air. I had a bad relationship once and we used to row all the time. And I think she used to cause rows so that she could have the reconciliation afterwards. Mm. And bizarrely, it was the reconciliations that did my head in more than the row. <laughs> Because, like, the rows, at least I could be honest and shout and say what I thought and stuff. Whereas the reconciliation, that's when I found myself lying and going, yeah, I love you. <laughs> yeah, it's like a ceasefire and you have to make more. Whereas you, you always look back more fondly on the bit before the war even started. You go, that yeah. that was the good bit with the peacetime. Do you know what I mean? The roaring 20s. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. Before everything went tits <laughs> up in the Weimar Republic. There's a couple more serious ones here. I think, again, you know, I think as blokes, we are not as good at talking about literally just simply what's going on in our relationships, just simply the health of our relationships. And then I think that this stands true whether you're into women or men, but I think I'm talking more specifically in this section with heterosexual men, is that here's the thing, is when a relationship with a bloke ends, there's a thing that I've noticed, which is what I call ground zero in the guy. So it's like a woman has been with a guy a while, she's built a life of him, maybe had kids with him and stuff. And then during the process of that relationship ending, it's not just that it can end, it's like the guy has to be sort of like blitzkrieged, like he has to be like fucking wiped out, right? And I've, I've just seen this happen to a couple of guys with me. Maybe it's a consequence of middle age, maybe it's that the woman invested so much fucking time in him, she's just angry. I don't know what it is. It's just happened now too often for me to ignore. And I, I wonder if the principle of it is, is right. I think women do invest more emotionally in relationships, right? So I imagine that she's like a fruit machine in a Vegas casino. She's putting loads of money into that fruit machine. She has to walk away eventually. But what she doesn't want is when she walks away, some other person comes in, puts in $1 and wins 10 grand. <laughs> There's definitely some PR that goes on in a split and probably i don't know sometimes i guess the man is better at the pr but usually the woman is better at pr generally there's a pr exercise going on to make sure that you're the bad guy i'm the victim here and you're the cause of the breakup 
you see it, in, particularly in divorce, both parties are always trying to make out that they're the victim. Well, I think that what happens with blokes is they tend to have these destructive moments, right? Because they're not good at articulating what's going on or whether or not they're even happy. So then they go and fucking blow five grand at a casino or they, or they sleep with Claire from accounts. It's always someone from accounts, right? Whereas I think that where the female problematic behaviour happens, it just happens over a longer period of time. It's a more subtle day-in, day-out basis. Whereas the bloke, he doesn't even know he's angry so then one day he just gets really drunk, gets a bag of gear, goes to a casino. And then when she says, well, you know, what was that all about? He doesn't even fucking know. Like he actually doesn't yeah. know why he did it. He said, well, I don't know. I mean, I've been having these really angry dreams for a while where I fly a Lancaster bomber over our house. But other than that, I didn't know anything was wrong. Yeah, I think that's right. We're in a weird place. I'm just going to be a bit serious for a second. But mm. I think, you know, maybe it's because of all the estrogen in the water or whatever it is, but... Men have definitely got, I don't want to say weaker. Yeah, I'm going to say men seem to have got weaker. And women, there's a lot of brainwashing going on and women are told that they can have this and have that. And then you get a lot of women in their late 30s, early 40s who are like, we were told I could have the career and the mother and the thing. And they don't end up having kids. And then they're really disappointed with themselves for not having kids because they bought the feminist dream when they were younger. There's a That's a big issue. And so there's a lot of anger there. I just think with these sort of things, you know, I hope any female listeners listening, this is like in the same way they would say, not all men. This is obviously we are talking about specific behaviours here. But if you're trying to plot a route back to blokes feeling that they're getting stuff off their chest, then I think conversations like this are part of how it happens. And now I just sound like a desperate bloke that's kind of going, please don't leave. That's essentially what I'm saying, isn't it? I'm now sounding like a bloke who's on the verge of being divorced by his female podcast listeners going, babe, babe, don't look. I didn't. It's like we've had a dispute. I'm going, but I didn't mean it. I could change. I could change. Listen, Dominic Frisbee, man, I urge everybody on the main podcast to go to your YouTube, check out all of your songs and see you live if they get the chance. And thank you very much for coming back once again on What Most People Think. Thanks very much for having me, Jeff. And frisbees.news is the mailing list if you want to sign up for it. Frisbees.news and I'll be back next week after my little break in Butlins. What most people think. 